When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is August 17th, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. Welcome to the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky. I hope you guys are having a great day, a great week, a great rest of the summer. Uh, it is mid-August, and because it is mid-August, because there is not a ton of Bruins things to talk about, Connor and I did a way, way, way too early uh, look. Well, maybe not a way too early. Or definitely an early, maybe not way too, but definitely early. Uh, look at the biggest questions that are going to be facing this Bruins team, because there are many. There are many, and we've we've hinted at them. We've we've gone in depth on them uh, in past episodes. On you know we've spent singular episodes on one big topic, uh, but today we kind of glossed over the the most important ones, and it was a good kind of preview of the season preview that'll come later. Because um, I said there's a lot, you know, there was a lot of turnover. There's a lot of changes. This Bruins team is not the same one that was on the ice uh, that got you know they got beat by the Islanders just a few months ago. So. Definitely a good episode. Uh, before we get into the episode, though, into the conversation, it's an exciting time of the year around the sports world. The Sox are playing, and they're playing well. Pat's training camp is here, and soon the Bruins and Celtics will be back. And even if you haven't made it back to Fenway just yet, you can still be on the action at Bet Online, no matter how the schedules change or the players that play. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every game this season. With the fastest updated odds in the industry, there are always more options to wager than anywhere online. And we even have an exclusive promo code for our loyal, loyal listeners. So go to Bet Online and enter promo code CLNS50 for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You heard me. A 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Nobody beats that. So what are you waiting for? Head to Bet Online today. And take advantage of all the great bonuses, offers, and contests available right now. Again, enter promo code CLNS50 for that 50% welcome bonus on that first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Connor Ryan. And we're here with Connor Ryan. Connor, what is up? Evan, doing well. How you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. Bit of personal news to start this episode off. A little bit of personal news. I bought a new iPhone yesterday. Hmm. Wow. Huge news. Huge news. I haven't got a new phone. Or I haven't bought a new phone since like 2016. 
It was like the iPhone seven, I think. And I, I lost, I lost track of the iPhones. Like I, I was like, Oh my God, we're on 12 now. Um, but I had an eight because my seven had some issues. So I've had that for years and now my camera doesn't even really work and my phone's super slow. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's time. So I got an iPhone 11. I, I, there you go. I went back a year. So it was a little cheaper, but yeah. So boom, new iPhone, new Evan craziness. Yeah. Crazy. Now, now you're officially going to kick my ass, beat me to these shifts. You got that added advantage now. So I'm screwed. The, quick, the quicker phone. Yeah. You're done. You're, yeah. Rest in peace to you. Um, can, does you have anything that matches my, uh, my exciting developments? Anything? Absolutely. Absolutely not. No, there's not been, there's not been much going on this week, which, uh, considering how hectic this offseason has been at points, it's kind of a good thing, but very slow. Nothing to yes. report. No, nothing, nothing to report, uh, in that front. So today we figured we would do a way too early, uh, look at the biggest questions facing the 2021, 2022 Bruins. Uh, and there are a good amount of questions early on as the season gets going or as training camp kind of gets underway in about a month, a uh, month and a half. Uh, there will be some more specific questions, but now we can kind of do some overarching questions, uh, that I think are important. And I don't know your questions. Uh, I don't think you know mine unless, well, you haven't seen them. Maybe you have, even though I wrote them down about 10 minutes before we started recording. Um, but I'll go first with a question for the 2021-2022 Boston Bruins. And it's an obvious one. We'll start for, for some obvious ones. What are they like without David Krejci? What is life without second-line center? Does Charlie Coyle, because Charlie Coyle is going to get the first crack at it. Is Charlie Coyle fit in, you know, is he good enough to fit between Hall and Smith? Now there's been a lot of talk about how Charlie Coyle is coming off a of surgery and he'll be better and faster and quicker. But again, do you think that helps him in the productivity category? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's overall the biggest question. It's crazy that considering how many other key departures have been this off season that there's four or five other like pressing questions, but now with Krejci gone, it's all been superseded by that, right? I feel like going into the year, uh, you know, after the first few days of free agency, when they signed all these guys, we're like, all right, well, team's going to be different once Krejci's back, you know, there's a lot of question marks once he's back, at least everything kind of falls into place. Now it's all screwed up. Now, now it's all, you know, you don't have any set idea of what you're going to look for. So uh, when you look at, uh, you know, Charlie Cole getting that first crack at it, um, you know, it's going to be, that's going to be the biggest determinant, you know, determining factor in just how legit this team is and their, you know, cup contentions odds are. Um, and it seems like from what, the way they've kind of structured the roster or what they're looking for, they're hoping for maybe more of, you know, instead of the, the old, you know, seasons where it'd be, you know, one elite line, one pretty good line, and then two, eh, it's now it's, you know, one elite line and four, uh, one elite line and three pretty good. You know, I think that's what they're hoping for. At least, you know, you need a lot of things to fall into place, but if you get, you know, Charlie Coyle with a clean bill of health, um, you know, bouncing back and, uh, you know, being handed two legit wingers, uh, to, to work with and Taylor Hall and Craig Smith, maybe that gets something more out of them. Again, I think we've talked about this before is Charlie Coyle at his peak, the same as David Craig at his peak. No, of course not. Right. Like it's, it's not going to be that situation, but if he's, if you've got a situation where, you know, he gets 50 points, over full 82 game season. If, you know, Taylor Hall is kind of the new 
Krejci on that line, just in terms of the fact that he's going to be generating most of the offense. If he's, you know, in a situation where he's driving play, um, where he's, you know, the one pushing the puck into the ozone, then, then you kind of, you roll with the punches with that and you hope that the rest of the other lines that you've bolstered with depth has also, you know, made a big step forward. So, but again, we, we look at the rest of that lineup and, you know, is, uh, Felino and Howla and Nebraska third line, is that line going to bounce back? You know, is, how is the fourth line with Thomas Nosek and, you know, Frederick and all these other guys, a lot of other factors that have to go into it that round it out. But without a doubt, the kind of the, the key cog that, you know, is going to make the rest of that forward core go and that we don't really know about yet is just how, you know, Coyle or another guy is going to do in that role with Krejci. Um, I'm sure, from November on, we're going to keep on getting questions about when David Krejci is coming back. I think that's going to be inevitable, yes. of course. But um, without a doubt, I think that's maybe like the sub question involved in all this. It's going to be, you know, what are they doing at 2C? When's David Krejci coming back? But the overarching, you know, questions are going to be just who fills that void, which easier said than done. You know, maybe maybe it's Coyle. Maybe Sidneka makes a big step forward. But again, when you're in this win now window, you, you'd hope for a bit more of a sure bet than, you know, a situation where it's just, let's hope Sneak it does well, right? So we'll, we'll see. Like it's a, it's a lot of pressure falling on Coil, but I think when they handed him that 60 year, $31.5 million contract, this was some of what the expectations were. Obviously a lot has changed since he signed that contract, but you hope that even if he's a, a 50 point guy, you know, you need that from that line, especially if where he's got, legit weapons with Hall and uh, Smith next to him. I can't wait for the Czech media to ask Krejci about his time in Boston or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I love my time in Boston. And all the Bruins fans are like, oh, he, he, see, he's coming he's back. back. He's back. He's back. He's so back. He's talking about the Bruins. He's back. Um, what is your most – what is a pressing question of yours that you have? Yeah, I think it's got to be uh, the goaltending situation and just one, one what they do with – Rask, but that's, I think, maybe like the, you know, it's the chicken and the egg of, you know, it's more, the more pressing question is how are they going to, how is guys like Olmark and Swayman going to hold up uh, in that role? Because if they're both, you know, if we get to January and February and Rask has a clean bill of health, but Olmark has a, a nine, you know, two, four save percentage and Swayman's in the running for the Calder, they don't really have to worry about it, right? Like maybe you sign, maybe you sign, Rask for shits and gigs and you know you just have him as a third guy there or you know he it's just added depth which considering all that can go wrong in a playoff run yeah, just sign him for you know I don't know seven seven fifty k league minimum just bring him aboard right like if you want to do that but it's not as pressing as let's say we get to January and February and Rask is still rehabbing and you know he's still shaking the rust off but the Bruins just really need him because Olmark's got a a 904 save percentage and Swayman's, you know, struggling kind of in his first full year. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see just how they deal with this new rotation and net, which as foreign as David Krejci not being in the lineup is, um, it's another thing entirely when you've got this situation in net where you don't have, you know, your found, you know, another franchise goalie and kind of that set rotation you've had for years. I mean, it's been a luxury with, you know, the last few seasons where you've got Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak back there where going to camp, you didn't have to worry about it, right? As much as David Krejci was always there at 2C, you also had the storyline every single summer of who's going to be his wingers? You know, are they going to get a, enough out of that line? 
So now you've got a situation in that where it's all right, we're placing our faith on this one of, if not maybe the last legit contend- contending season with a guy in Olmack who I think they love. I think they don't hand him a, you know, four year 20, you know, a four year $20 million contract if you didn't think he was a guy that in a better situation with a better defensive structure in front of him was really going to take that next big step forward. Um, but still, Goal, you know, determining goaltending and seeing how these kind of pieces fall into place is kind of a crapshoot, right? And even with Swayman, you know, is Swayman going to be a guy like Cotter Hart? And it's a, a scenario where very promising goalie, but he takes a step back as, you know, happens with these guys when they go through a full season in the NHL and teams get the tape out on them. Or is he this chosen one franchise goalie where we look at it in December and he's got like a 9-3-8 and we're like, what? Jesus, like this, they've got like this franchise goalie now, right? Like that, that's, it's going to be fascinating. I think for Bruins fans, it's exciting just to see what these two guys can offer, but it also means that things can go off the rails really quick if, you know, both those guys struggle out of the gate. Oh yeah. But I think having Olmark there actually is a lot uh, better situation than I think if we were sitting here with Swayman and Vladar, you know, if they hadn't done anything in free agency um, in net. My guess is, and again, this is just a guess. My guess is they're good, not amazing, not horrible. They're just, they're good. They're solid. Omar will be solid in net. So it'll be solid in net. You know, I don't think he'll match what he did in the 10 games he played this past season where, you know, it was absurd, you know, leading the league in some categories uh, with at least 10 games played, which is always convenient when you pick the minimum amount of games he's played. Um, but, and then it's going to become an, a, a thing, a real storyline in January and February. Should they bring Rask back? I think you're going to see people split. You know, yes, they absolutely should, or no, they absolutely shouldn't. I can't tell. Again, that's something I think we'll kind of get some indication on as training camp goes. I think you mentioned it, though. I think one of the most the, the things I'm most interested in this year is to watch a Bruins team play in front of not Tuka Rask. Like, mm. I'm very excited and interested in how they play in front of Linus Olmark. Like, that's, you know, they paid him starting goalie money. You know, that's a long-term guy you got in there. So I'm very interested to see what happens with that. Um, and whether or not Rask gets brought back. I mean, think about it. We could be talking in January and February about bringing Rask and Krejci back, bringing the whole band, just bringing the band back together for one last go of it. We're, we, already I don't know, Chris, we already have Chris Kelly and Adam McQuaid ready to roll. So exactly. Yeah. There's Chris Kelly and Adam McQuaid. So might as well just bring back Rask and Krejci. Um, but yes, the, the Rask thing and the goaltending thing, I think is going to be another big thing. Um, one question I have the left side on D this was kind of addressed in free agency, but it, kind of wasn't uh Grizzlick, Mike Riley and Derek Forbert are your three on the left side I don't know I don't know if that holds up um I think that's an area where you might need to add at the deadline because you know again Grizzlick and McAvoy's fun and you know I think it was discussed somewhere that Forbert could be getting some time with McAvoy on that first mm-hmm. pairing I think you really have three fringe second and third pairing defenders on your left side. You know, Grizzlick obviously is elevated a lot when he's with McAvoy, but on his own, Grizzlick should be a, probably a second pairing guy on a amazing team. He's a third pairing guy. Um, but I don't know how that holds up. I don't. Um, and again, I mean, you have some guys in the system. You have a, you have a Sean, um, you have Vakanainen, you still have Zaboral, you have John Moore. So you do have depth on that left side. But for the three guys you're you're looking towards, uh, I don't know if 
that gets it done. And I do think that at some point during the year, that is going to be a, an addition they need to make another left shot defender. And I don't, I don't know if I fault them so much for not getting one in free agency aside from Forbert, because again, Martinez stayed in Vegas. You know, a lot of these pieces that mm-hmm. they could have gotten either got overpaid like crazy or they just stayed where they were. So there wasn't really a lot on the market to go out and get. So yeah, it's going to come down probably to a trade. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely a byproduct of the the market that got out of hand before the Bruins could even start bidding on guys. But I kind of look at the the left side of the team it's kind of similar to the goaltending situation where it's going to be, I think, very fascinating. I'm interested to see what the results are. And also it can go wrong very quickly, right? Like, uh, they seem to be excited about what forward brings, uh, even if it's in, you know, a top pairing role. But, you know, I, I feel like, it's one of the things where Bruins fans are, you know, still trying to find out what kind of player they have in him because the people who are excited because he's a big body, but then people are like, well, he doesn't hit. But so then, you know, people jump in with like, oh, he blocks a lot of shots. So he's tough. They're like, oh, okay. Yeah. That works then. Like, I think we need okay. to get more of a, we have to get more of an actual tape on him and how he does with, especially if he's with a McAvoy or even if he's on a third pairing role with a Clifton who's going to be, you know, probably handed the, the full-time job, or it could be like a Brady Lyle or another guy like that who pushes for a spot in camp who um, was very impressive during dev camp. So maybe he's a guy that changes the complexion. If he kind of runs with his, you know, opportunity, if he, he does well in camp. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's one of those things where there's a lot of intrigue and a lot of potential there. You know, if we could look at considering the fact that Charlie McAvoy is yet to hit his ceiling yet, um, you know, another year with McAvoy and Grizzlick together with Grizzlick, you know, hopefully staying healthy considering he was kind of banged up for most of the year. A lot to like about it. You know, we'll see how that, te- how that pairing would fare in the playoffs, but, um, definitely, you know, you can do a lot worse in terms of, you know, putting that pairing out based on how good they are, you know, in the ozone. Look at Mike Riley, um, struggled in the postseason, but a full year, especially with Brennan Kala, who's hopefully healthy. A lot to like there. Like there, there's, intriguing interesting parts of how they want to roll that decor and you can make the argument of whether that the the defense they've have which is still very you know emphasizing you know speed and transition um and all that stuff you can make the argument that's still not the formula you need for building a, a playoff ready kind of decor so we'll kind of see what the how that pans out but we could also be looking at this team you know at the end of the regular season and you know grizzly could be part of a great deep pair, you know, Riley could be a guy who's got 35, 40 points as a defenseman. You know, that's kind of the rate he was at last year. We'll see if that was a flash in the pan or whether he can continue that with the Bruins. So it's an intriguing group. It's just, you know, you have to figure out if it's the right mix, right? Like we could be very well looking at this team in uh, February and be going through the same th- stuff we did last year, whether it's Ekholm or, Hampus Lindholm or one of these other guys that, you know, they probably need to kind of get a, a legitimate top pairing guy there. Yeah, no, I agree. I just saw my phone national and UC Soros agreed to a four year, $20 million extension. So five, there's another $5 million goalie. Yep. Yep. So UC Soros is a starter down there, in Nashville. So Lindbergh's up uh, Lindbergh. <laughs> oh, Omar is making the same money. Wow. I just got the, I, the UMass wires haven't even been turned on. Like, uh, I don't know. And he's, he's in the, he's in Pittsburgh now. Anyway, yes. So, um, good addition for them, by the way. Um, would you have, an, what, what is another question that you have? Yeah. I would start, probably say the other one's just, uh, how many like legitimate breakout candidates or guys that are, re- can rebound are, are going to be on this team and help them out. Cause I think that's what, 
again, we don't want that, you know, you don't really want that all the time on a team that is in a contention, you know, win now window, but how far this team goes could depend on how either younger players or guys like Jake DeBrusque fare, you know, going into the new year. I think we all mapped out that DeBrusque was probably going to be gone this offseason. Right now, it seems like he's back. Um, you can make the arguments for both sides. I mean, if you've got this new third line where you've got two new guys and Eric Howell and Nick Foligno, granted, probably better players than they've had on that third line than in years past. Um, you need a guy that can also finish. And if it's DeBrusque, who you hope can, you know, will benefit from a new season, a clean slate, a normal year where, I mean, I think he's been very upfront and candid about the struggles he had. You hope that even if, you know, he's not a, a 30 goal guy, if you can go back to just being a, a, a 20 goal player who releases, you know, fixes that hot and cold play that he has that he can really elevate the third line. That's the hope at least is, you know, getting those easier matchups and kind of just going back to his game with a clean slate. I mean, it would be good for DeBrusque and that he raises his value back up because he's due for a new contract and it's great for the Bruins because they need a finisher on that third line. But whether it be him or, you know, it, I don't think this team's relying on, you know, the, the youth movement as much as last year, which clearly backfired when you look at how much they put, you know, the, the hope on, those younger defensemen, but you look at, you know, a guy like maybe Lyle who, who pushes in, he could be a pleasant surprise. You know, you look at uh, Trent Frederick, who I think is going to be, have, you know, a feature role in that fourth line. That's going to be pretty revamped. And again, we, we know kind of what Frederick's bread and butter is, but if he still has, you know, three goals and one assist, you know, three months into the season, you know, that's not going to be enough. You know, teams can, tune you out if you're just trying to chirp them and get under their skin, but they tend to notice if you're burying goals in a fourth line role. So, you know, he doesn't have to be this 25 point guy, but if he ends a year with 80 something games played and 10 goals and seven assists, like that's all you need out of a fourth line guy. That's productive. Right. So I think he's looking at a, a key year for him. Um, Sidnika could be in the mix. Don't really know what his set role in the lineup is right now. Um, you know, maybe he, he runs with the opportunity given to him if he's got, um, you know, a scenario where, um, you know, whether it's Coyle and the, the vacancy there or he finds another role in the third line. Like, there's there should be a spot for him, but he needs to bring it in camp. So far, people seem to be raving about how he's uh, looked so far down in Foxborough. He's gained a lot of weight. Um, but, again... We, we do this every year, every sport, spring training, guys are in the best shape of their lives. You need to show it in camp and you show it during an actual game setting. So, um, again, I don't think they're as reliant on the youth movement as they are in years past, which is why they signed a bunch of veteran guys in free agency. But um, you still need the guys that are either pleasant surprises or guys that bounce back with just playing what, what we know they can be. We don't need the brush to be a 35 goal guy, but if he's 20 goals and is more consistent and is four checking, that's what you need in that third line. And he's just not invisible. Like that's, I think that's, yeah. you just need him to be effective. And I, and, and again, like there were so many times last year where a game would end and I'd be like, did DeBrusque play? Like he's in the lineup sheet. I never saw him on the ice and you go back and realize, well, he just didn't do anything in his, you know, 30, 40 second shifts. Um, but you mentioned it. You're, you're right. DeBrusque, I think, is the, the main guy in that crew of like, what's his deal going to be? Because again, you know, we just talked about top four left shot defensemen maybe needing to trade for one at the deadline. If DeBrusque raises his value enough over the next, you know, up until the deadline, that's a guy who you could 
in theory, unless he has like, you know, unless he's one of your top goal scorers, you could deal for a top four left shot defenseman. I mean, think about it. If, if the season gets going and DeBrusque is a solid presence on the third line, the deadline comes around. He has what, like 15 goals or so, 15 ish, maybe, uh, maybe a little less, but he's effective and playing well and a constant presence on the third line. You could deal him for a top four left shot defenseman and you still have other forwards who can be penciled in there again. And also you could get other forwards at the deadline, but that's a piece you could use in a trade. And I think that is going to be big. And then also you mentioned Frederick on that fourth line um, and how that fourth line is going to perform. Cause again, when the fourth line's good, the Bruins are usually good. And that's been the case around here for a long time, no matter what the fourth line was. So he, he's going to be a key part of that fourth line. I'm going to go off the board with my next question a little bit. You wrote about this recently. Um, and it's something we talk about every time a defenseman gets signed, but Charlie McAvoy's up after this season. And my big question is, when does he get signed and for what? Now, I know we've talked about what we think he'll sign at for a while, but I'm curious when they do it uh, because I don't think they're going to let him hit the market. That'd be dumb because he'll see what he could get. You know, <laughs> a team like Chicago will come in, print a bunch of money and say, hey, we'll give you we'll give you 13 million. I don't even know if that's possible. 13 million uh, <laughs> for you. We'll give you 13. And I'll be like, oh, my God. Um, and he'd be worth it. He'd be worth it. So I'm curious when he gets signed, uh, when the ink dries on that. Because, again, remember, uh, this current deal of his was kind of a holdout. It was a holdout uh, in the training in 2019. So uh, I'm curious when you think a guy like McAvoy gets signed. Uh, if I'm the Bruins, I'm sure they hope it was yesterday. when you know, they, <laughs> I'm sure they'd love to sign him to an eight-year deal as soon as possible. Um, again, what's the AAV on that going to be? Um, I'm sure they'd love to do the – the, the regular routine they've you know benefited from from years, which is convincing guys to sign below market value, which below market value for McAvoy now is still probably eight, eight million, eight and a half, which I think if you're the Bruins, if, you know, McAvoy tomorrow signs an eight year, $64 million deal, you're doing backflips because that's, you've got a guy who's a franchise, you know, cornerstone already when that contract's going to get better and better as, slowly but surely the cap does rise up in the coming years once, you know, the new broadcasting rights deals go into effect and fans are back in the stands, a new hockey market in Seattle's getting set up. So, um, you know, you go to this, that contract in 2024, 25 and the caps now, you know, 85, 86 million. And that deal just looks better and better. Is Charlie McAvoy going to do that? I don't know, man. He's due for a really nice raise and, you know, he's, he's well within his rights to kind of hold out and get, you know, a bigger contract now. Um, is it going to be a situation where they're going to do it in the middle of the season? Is he going to wait till the end of the year, which is going to be troubling? Cause even if, you know, the Bruins have some leverage with him as an RFA, it's still kind of the writing on the wall that you're maybe shelling out 10 million or so a year to keep him, which, uh, sometimes you got to bite the bullet, but in terms of fielding the best roster, it's tough when you allocate close to an eighth of your cap space to just one guy. So uh, we'll kind of see what what comes of that. You know, maybe McAvoy wants to do a situation where he doesn't want to sign an eight-year deal. You know, you, he could look at this market and see how in four years' time the the cap jumps up, you know, once the escrow is is all set and all these things that, you know, the we could have a year where the cap finally jumps up like $5 million, $6 million in one season. He could look at this and be like, well, all right, well, I'll sign a four-year deal for eight, seven and a half, eight. And then, you know, in four or five years, I cash in with a legit contract from getting paid, you know, 12 million when he's, you know, 28. So 
that could very well be a situation he takes. Obviously, a lot more risk involved in that, where sometimes if a team tosses you eight and 64, sometimes you're inclined just to take it. But um, it's going to be fascinating to see what, how the Bruins approach it, and more importantly, what Charlie McAvoy is looking to get out of that contract because um, he's he's deserved, and you know his new payday is going to be well worth it. But you have to look at it from the the set of I think when he signs the new contract, it's going to be a relief, right? Of like, all right, we've got this guy who is going to be a, a finalist for the Norris Trophy year and year and years, you know, going forward. But what's the AAV going to be? Because if it's ten million, then you look at it and be like, all right, well how much of a you know wiggle room do they have to really improve this roster when you've got that considering don't forget that David Pasternak's due for a contract the next summer and he's also going to get paid a lot of money yeah i didn't even think of the whole take a two or th- uh, three or four year deal cash in now and then wait to kind of make the contract bigger. really cash in like really cash in in I didn't even think of that. That's a great point. I do wonder if he does that, but I I don't know. I feel like the Bruins are a team where that wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. But then again, it's up to McAvoy. I mean, he's your franchise defenseman. There's nothing you can do. Like you do have to cater to those um to those wants at some point. Uh what would you be your final question? I would say probably the final, just it probably is more of the rest of the league than anything, just how the Bruins will stack up and in, in the new Atlantic, because I think you look at, you know, so much people say the Lightning are, you know, they've lost their entire third line, great third line. Uh, I think they're still going to be okay. I think uh, they still have Andre Vasilevsky and a really, you know, a strong decor. And they've got Kucherov and, you know, Braden Point and all those star players. They're going to be just fine. But beyond that, beyond Toronto, which is Toronto, um, we'll see how they do with, you know, I think they have Peter Morazic now in net, which – Guy does not have a good time against the Bruins in the playoffs. No, so we'll see how never that goes. has. But I think probably the guy that the team that there's the biggest wrench in the operation is uh, Florida. I think Florida is a team that kind of look at that that forward core they've got there, and it's pretty impressive, man. They they got a, a good team. Um, as much as I think Sergei Bobrovsky, that contract looks terrible, and he may not be the answer. They've got kind of their own swayman now, and Spencer Knight, where he could be a guy that runs the opportunity if he's great. Then look out for that team because whether it's, you know, Uyghur, uh, who had a great breakthrough year, obviously you hope Ekblad is, is back at some point after suffering his injury. But I mean, go down like that top six they've got, uh, in Florida where you've got Barkov and Carter Verhage, who is out of nowhere was a beast last year. Um, Huberto, Bennett, you know, Anthony Duclair. Um, they've got a Reinhardt. lot of li- Reinhardt. Yeah you add him to the mix who was on like a 37 goal pace last year over a full season. Um, Jumbo Joe. Yeah. Jumbo Joe. You got Vetrano. You got like a lot of guys that can, you know, put the puck in the back of the net. Um, so that's the team and they're well coached with, with Quenville. So I think it's going to be, you know, as much as it's how the Bruins going to do, it's how is the rest of the field going to do? Cause even if the Bruins are status quo and they're still a good team, they can still be the, the team that's in that, you know, fourth spot where, you're still hoping that, you know, there's a bit of a, a gap between, I think, those four teams and the rest of the league, uh, the rest of the division. Obviously, Montreal's coming off of a run to the cup, but also without Shea Weber, without a couple of other guys. So, see how they do going forward. But um, you look at those four teams and where they stack up. And right now, Bruins are what, maybe third, fourth? Like, you've, you've got to look at it and see see how it all maps out. Again, this could be a Burns team where all the pieces fall into place and you've got a very competitive 
you know, revamp team, or they could be a team where we're looking at it in November and we're like, all right, where's this guy go here? And, you know, is DeBrusque going to, you know, bounce back? And how's Olmark doing? Because his last few starts haven't been that great. Like, it could all, you know, go downhill very quickly if these pieces all don't fall into place in short order. Yeah, it's it's kind of teetering on that, as you said, on the brink. Another team that I don't think is going to make, I don't think is going to be anywhere near the playoffs, but could play a role. Spoiler is the Red Wings. I think the Red Wings should be a team that spoils some things. I mean, I think people expect the Bruins to walk into Detroit and Detroit to walk in here and just be an automatic win for the Bruins. But I think that team is not too terrible. I think Brana and Larkin on the same line could be very interesting. Uh, Nadelkovich in net, very solid. So, do I think that team makes the playoffs? Absolutely not. But do I think that they are a spoiler and they could maybe look like they could make a run at the playoffs at some point? Maybe. Cause again, that, now that's a young team up there. Uh, and they have a lot in the pipeline. That's a team that I think in five years we'll probably be looking at and going, damn, that the Yeiser plan ended up working out. Um, but yeah, so those are the six questions, six questions, early, early, early stuff. I don't think those questions are going to go away though. I don't think those are going to be questions that uh, were like, oh, those were completely answered yes. um, as the season goes along. Uh, Connor, before we go, is there anything that you would like to plug? Yeah, we're going to be looking at a few uh, lineup questions this week. Um, I think, you know, you look at a guy like Derek Fulbert, who they seem to think is going to be a key cog. We'll look at kind of where he best fits in the lineup. Look at, you know, the different scenarios of Charlie Coyle at 2C. So I think now that we've got a little bit of a, uh, a waiting period in the off season where hopefully not a lot of stuff happens. It's, it's sometimes it's better to not have a lot of stuff happen at this point of the off season. Uh, looking at a few lineup questions, looking ahead to the upcoming training camp. So all that stuff will be over at Boston Sports Journal. So subscribe at, uh, over at BSJ. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Connor Ryan underscore 93. Go do all that for CLNS Media. I'm Evan Marinovsky. You Bruins be listeners. Have a great rest of your week. <laughs>